0: I'm Hemant Mehta
1: and I'm Jessica Blumke.
0: and you're listening to the podcast for friendlyatheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at friendlyatheistpodcast.com. Daniel Jennis grew up in New York City where he attended Stuyvesant High School and New York University, graduating with a degree in history and French. In 2003, however, he committed five armed robberies, which led to a decade behind bars. We'll talk about that in a little bit. During that time in prison, he wrote a novel called Narcotica. Now that he's out, he's been writing about the intersection of religion and incarceration for publications like Vice, Deadspin, Washington Post, The Daily News, and Newsweek. Uh, Daniel, thanks for being with us. And is there anything in that bio you would add?
2: Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, The bio sounds wonderful. And uh, I'm proud to say that I can add quite a bit to it, but I won't bore you all night because (laughs) I actually, uh, in 2014, of which I only spent 10 months uh, out of prison, I actually published 62 pieces and also sold a book, which is not Narcotica. Narcotica is still in manuscript form. I sold a memoir on prospectus and 62 pieces of journalism. So it's been a busy year but I won't list all the uh, places for you. Uh, also, I thought I could add that I'm of a immigrant family. My, my parents came in 1977 from the most uh, atheist country of them all, which was officially atheist, from the USSR. And uh, while technically we are, we are Jews... Uh, as soon as they came over, they put a Christmas tree up in Rebellion. And uh, nevertheless, my family was basically without any kind of religion. We, uh, when I was younger, we got to be traveled, and I got to see Rome, Jerusalem, and many beautiful churches, many synagogues, cathedrals, many places considered quite holy. And I also read a lot, including the Bible, all of it. And I made my investigations, and I also read about the uh, Islam and Zen Buddhism and everything I could, because I was very curious. I wanted to know. And I came to my conclusion, which was that uh, there is nothing. And so it's been since then. Of course, obviously uh that's not uh, the reason why I'm on this show there's plenty of uh atheists out there. The uh the unusual part of my story is the uh, 10 years of hard time. <laughs> uh what yes. Well, so let's because... talk
0: about that because you, you if I look at the your educational background It's very impressive. Stuyvesant is not an easy school to get into. NYU's not easy to get into or graduate from, and you did that. How do you go from that to armed robbery? First of
2: all, it's not just the education. There's there's much more I could add, which in one way would be bragging, and in another way just makes me a bigger loser. (laughs) Because not only that, my father is a big time public intellectual in Russia. He's famous there. He's the Susan Sontag of Russia, right? But he lives in New Jersey. So I grew up in an intellectual milieu. I've I've had Nobel Prize winners in the the house and uh, a lot was expected of me. I walked out, I, I graduated university and went right into my first job, which was in publishing. Of course, at the same time, all through college, I had been using drugs, and right about the age of 22 was when I came to the hardest drug of them all, heroin, and over two and a half years of addiction, I ruined everything in my life, pretty much everything. I had a little sober moment in between, and during that moment, that was the smartest thing I did. I I married my wonderful wife, who i married to to this day, but it culminated in crime. It ended with these robberies, which were desperate and amateur uh, events. They all happened in one week in the summer of 2003, and I was caught in November, and I, w- I was hit pretty hard. Uh, they gave me 12 flat, which means 10 years and three months, as long as you're good. So I did the time. I didn't have much choice. But I used the time as as best I could, and I kept a list of uh, books I read while I, did, while I was serving my time. And I mean, I did other things, too. I had a little four-year bodybuilding phase, and I taught, and I worked in libraries. But there, I always read, and I made sure that I used my time to become as well-read as I can be. So I'm one of the rare people who actually read proofs Leisure, with leisure, I you know, had guidebooks and maps and things like that. I had the time to read uh, Infinite Jest. I read uh, James Joyce. Uh, everything that was long and hard, I, I read because I figured I would never again have the time or the luxury to do this. The list of books added up to 1,046 over 10 years. And that, coincidentally, is the name of the memoir that uh, my agent and I sold to Penguin last year uh, on prospectus, which means we sold it as a proposal. So I'm going to be turning it in at the beginning of next year, and it'll it'll come out hopefully as soon as possible. Narcotica is a novel, and we are planning to make some changes in it and publish it afterwards.
0: So tell me about these... Uh, let me go back to before prison, though. Explain yes, these robberies, because I read somewhere that they, these yes. were these weren't like I stole money from you. These were botched robberies,
2: sir. I was the worst robber ever, and perhaps that's a great thing. Maybe I don't want to be the best robber ever. Uh, I know that in uh, in prison, where the uh, values are somewhat skewed. It wasn't a popular thing for me to talk about. It didn't earn me any, any points to be a bad robber. But back in the real world, uh, I, you know, the press had a little nickname, and it was Apologetic Bandit. <laughs> and the reason for that is because I felt bad about it even while I was doing it because it's not my character. And I So felt you're bad.
0: apologizing while you're robbing these people?
2: uh qu- quite quite sincerely and <laughs> profusely uh yeah i uh every time and uh not only that i was really uh, the, the most amateur foolish armed robber ever because um i didn't wear any kind of uh mask or anything and many a time i was uh, i was defeated and turned away uh in fact a harsh language could turn me away i i didn't have uh access to any real weapons i had a pocket knife so, there were a few times when people just told me, gave me a firm no, and that was enough.
0: <laughs> so you're saying they're not going to make a Law and Order episode out of <laughs> out of these crimes? Probably
2: not. Although <laughs> the, the most exciting moment was when I had a pizza thrown at me. Wow, that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> Wait,
1: yeah. a whole pizza or now, a slice of pizza? It's very important no, to me. No, a whole one. A whole oh.
2: one. Now, you, you have to understand. I there, there was somewhat of a reason why I, I stooped to this level. I had a, a debt, an addiction, and I was hiding it all at once. Mm-hmm. And I had a job, which I was ba- barely holding on to. I, mean, I was teaching for Princeton Review. But uh, you know, spending 100 bucks a day on dope, owing a couple thousand dollars to a Ukrainian drug dealer, hiding it all from my, my wife, trying to get to New Jersey and teach school. I needed a chunk of money, and I did something stupid and foolish. I did it over one week. I paid back the drug dealer. I uh, got caught by my wife and sent to detox, and I thought the episode was over, except that there was a a follow-up in November when I returned to the same area where the crimes had been committed and was recognized by, by a woman. And she, uh, she waited outside Barnes and Noble to make sure that I would get caught. And, uh, I was, I what? was.
0: Now that you're yeah. out though, and you're trying to make this new life for yourself and you're writing this, uh, book and everything. Why should I feel any sympathy for you? Because what you did with the armed robberies, I mean, that's a horrible thing to do. Thankfully, uh, no one got killed, no one got hurt or anything, but, like, what, how would you convince me to, you know, take you seriously and to read your book now and mm-hmm. kind of feel like, okay, I, this guy has paid his debt to society, and it's time to forgive him and move on?
2: It's certainly a fair question, because I myself, uh, probably at a different point in my life, would have said that uh, somebody capable of, do, of doing such a thing is uh, capable of uh, doing anything. How you know why why, so this is the way I, I would answer it. I would uh, tell you that first of all, the way I rationalized to myself that it's not so bad is that I had been robbed myself recently before I did them. I had been uh, robbed at gunpoint, but I, I think the guy was a midget too, which is kind of embarrassing, but he uh, he was very short, and he put a gun in my face and stole took my leather jacket. And uh, I kind of left it off. I didn't call the cops or anything. So I was hoping that it wasn't as big a deal. But I realize now that what well, it was a lie I was telling myself because I imposed on people by scaring them, not just by taking things from them, by scaring them. And I feel re- very regretful about that. It, it really, when I think about that, it didn't, I can't even recognize the person who did it. The think that, that I was capable of scaring innocent people who are strangers is quite unpleasant for me to to remember at the same time when you, you did mention paying a debt to society and if you divide it out, I served two years in state prisons for every charge of robbery um, while the uh, of course I caused unpleasantness to the to the victims. Two years is also a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, I would like to think that I can do much more for society out here than in there. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, you're in prison, which is which has a notoriously high rate of, uh, of religious belief. There seem to be a disproportionately large number of people who at least proclaim to be religious in prison, so going in as an atheist and what it sounds like a very outward atheist was that difficult for you? What were your What were your um, experiences like?
2: Oh, interesting question. Because a lot of the guys didn't even understand what I was talking about. Because I was registered not as an atheist. Mm-hmm. I was registered as as a Jew because mm-hmm. I was working as as a clerk for the rabbis. And that, like, so the guys said that I'm a Jew. I, then I, you know, I said, well, I. You know, I identify with Jews and I like the tradition and rituals, but I don't. I don't believe in in God, and it was just a very, very foreign concept there. I met probably in ten years one or two other atheists, and uh, that was it. And on the other hand, you're kind of omitting another fact, and that is the educational level in prison. Uh, which isn't very high, so...
0: You're saying there aren't a lot of college graduates with, like, degrees. Well,
2: actually, uh, more accurate to say there aren't a lot of high school graduates. Right. Mm. So, leaps of faith were taken very, very easily.
0: How do you uh, deal with being an atheist in prison when people found out about it? Like, did they challenge you on it, or did they just, like, I don't know what you mean?
2: Yes several times, for example they they assumed uh that my I, I must have uh, I'm very immoral, for example, which was quite in funny prison. Because, <laughs> because these are guys, you know some of them are murderers. Right. I committed crimes as a because of drug addiction. I was a drug addict and, you know in my regular uh mindset, I would never even con- consider doing such such a thing while these guys thought it was perfectly normal. You know whatever, whatever suited their needs, and yet at the same time they thought it was quite blasphemous of me to uh, to, to to you know to take the Lord's name in vain, for example. Uh, and the, you know different religions have different uh, taboos. Uh, for example, with Jews, uh, there I had to type up the rabbis' letters. Uh, I wonder if you even know this. You you're not you can't write uh, the word God. The O in it, it has to be a dash. Right. Huh. So there were things like that and it was it was just strange for them and at the same time they accepted that among them were satanists, wiccans, odinists, uh believers in the nation of god and earth gods and earth Uh, and that is, earth is actually pluralized, and uh, also the Moor's Science Temple. I mean, a lot of really odd, really strange religions. And in fact, uh, in preparation for this show, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about how easily leaps of faith were taken in prison, and I thought that to give you a little variety, uh, I might tell you about some of the very odd beliefs that I only encountered in prison. They're not all religious, hmm. but they certainly are hard to believe in. Uh, for But they're believed in fervently. I mean, here's the first one on my list. In prison, the guys, it's just taken for granted that this is absolutely true, that in the early 80s, the CIA brought crack to the ghetto. Hmm. There's no doubt. They have absolutely no doubt about this. And they know it's true because somebody told them, somebody they trust, you know, in the yard, told them this. And it's it, they have a reasoning, there's a rationale behind it. It's to uh, to stop the uh, Black Panthers. That's why crack had to be introduced to the ghetto. <laughs> Num- number two on the list, for example, the CDC. They made AIDS. They made AIDS and they spread it around the world to get rid of uh, once again blacks and also homosexuals. And there's other things, maybe we can go through them, you know. I don't so know. these are
0: things they believe, and this kind of reflects this lack of critical thinking when yeah. it comes to these myths that have been perpetuated in a lot of places.
2: Exactly. But it, it, you know, it, there's also a very strange part to it, because what it does is it replaces common knowledge that other people take for granted. For example, it, I'm sure you wouldn't have any problem naming the actors the players of world war 2 right right
0: mm-hmm.
2: okay most normal people could name who fought who in world war 2 right in prison, don't take for granted that people know that okay they don't they don't they don't know that who do they right? think
0: fought in it or is it well, just for
2: example, not on their radar uh, Ru- russians and nazis are the same thing to them uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh uh but,
0: is this a lack say, of education or a culpability, like it, a susceptibility if, if to just believing it anything? It's
2: lack of education. It's, mm. There's a deliberate cultural choice here as well. Because while they don't know who fought in World War II, they can tell you all about the Trilateral Commission.
0: And what is that? So
2: that is a, a financial group that meets, and David Rockefeller established it, it's uh, for currency trading among large nations. Uh, conspiracy theorists think that's where, like, the secret world leaders meet, uh, the Illuminati or something. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Uh, of course. Or how about this?
2: Uh, guys who cannot, like, if you ask them, when was Jesus born, how long ago? You'd you think it would be an easy question to answer, even for, especially for Christians, right? right? Mm-hmm. That question is... A stumper, believe me. You're not going to, no one's going to figure out, the, they're not going to tell you 2015 years ago.
0: What do they think However, it is? However,
2: they will tell you about the Merovingian dynasty and how Jesus' blood survived.
0: So they believe the they... Da Vinci Code, but not the, <laughs> the Bible idea of when Jesus was born.
2: Well, they, they've they never read a history book, but right. they've read a conspiracy
0: book. Do you so, think these, this lack of critical thinking, this lack of kind of this common knowledge, is that something that they went into prison with? And maybe that's yeah. part of why they ended up in prison. Poor no, Poor decision-making. Comes... Is it something that gets exacerbated when they're in prison?
2: It's definitely exacerbated because it's it's totally supported. They, they they once they're in prison, they're living amongst people who share these beliefs totally. It's completely taken for granted. For example, that that uh, the AIDS AIDS, for example, I mean, if I said that in in my you know amongst my friends that I think AIDS was created by the CDC, uh, they'd be horrified. Right. But in in prison, that's to think otherwise is strange. But you said is it lack of education that causes it
0: versus just like a lack of critical thinking and knowing how to deal with these types of misinformation
2: well there's a third option how how about um a a cultural difference about where your information comes from
0: and where are they getting their information from here's the thing who
2: are they getting it from uh I hate to bring race into this, but it matters who says it. Because, for example, I really believe what the New York Times tells me. Some some uh, conservatives would find that blasphemous, by the way. Right. But for the most part, everything the New York Times says, I figure, is true. All the facts.
0: They've done right? the research. They've gone through fact-checking. Yes, like I that.
2: trust the New York Times. Right. Right, these guys in prison are living in a culture that does not recognize the New York Times. It does not recognize the Daily News. It does not recognize news on TV at all. It doesn't recognize anything that um, society that has no touch, you know, that isn't in touch with prison even knows
0: about. So, where are they getting their information from? Who from, do they trust?
2: From who are they getting it from? From an almost criminal network, a a, a shadow world. Of other information, such as so, there in New York City, there's bookstalls. There's on the streets. They're usually in uh, neighborhoods like Harlem or Brownsville or Bed Stuy. In these books, you can read about how the Muslims built the pyramids.
0: Hmm.
2: Now, if you can figure out the time, the timing of this, uh, okay, that's great. But you know, I mean, I can't. But traditional information isn't good for these guys. They don't they don't like it because they also feel that they've been oppressed. And they have reason many have, you know, America does have a bloody racial history and they do have a reason to believe they've been lied to. For example, prison offers flu shots once a year. Mm -hmm. Right. Ninety five percent of prisoners refuse them
0: because they think what's going to happen.
2: No, because they think they're being tested on right they're, they're being used as guinea pigs.
1: which they have they're historical basis that. for that what's that? they do have historical basis for that we've
2: they they do they do because the the, the tuskegee and the syphilis there there is a history of it, nevertheless. I got the flu shot every time, right. because I know that in litigious America, if, if if even one person was found to be tested on, there'd be an enormous lawsuit, mm-hmm. and it's against everybody's interest to actually do such a thing. Yeah. It'd be much easier to pay a subject to be tested than to mm-hmm. e- do some evil, you know, secret testing.
1: What I'm curious about is, um, I presume were you, you were at the same prison for your entire uh, sentence?
2: Was I in the same prison? I was in twelve
0: prisons. Oh. You were oh, transferred well, from place to place.
1: Yes. I worked for
2: four different rabbis. I've been around.
1: Gotcha. Because I was I was interested whether, you know, the, the beliefs that you kept seeing were insular to like one prison or if that was in your experience kind of culture wide in terms of of um
2: culture wide, but I was lucky to have spent four years in the in the most Jewish prison. Because uh, being, being Jewish in jail helps because you get a kosher meal. So what they did recently is they made the kosher meals really cheap and disgusting. But <laughs> if you happen to be a, a Jew that a rabbi recognizes as a real Jew, there is one prison in New York State that has a hot kosher kitchen. So the food is made there. It's not prepackaged crap. And it, it, it really is kosher. So I got to go. I got to be there, and that was uh, where I spent four years. And I spent my time with very Orthodox Jews who were keeping it very, uh, very serious in there. Uh, At the same time, most of them had committed heinous crimes. Uh, Our our leader, uh, a rabbi, has a gabai who is his uh, assistant. So the rabbi is a civilian. The gabai is a prisoner, and our gabai was a Lubavitcher Jew, a Hasidic Jew, who had 50 to life because he killed a pregnant woman. So, uh, you know, he got 25 for, for, for the woman and 25 for the fetus. So that, that was who was uh, leading the congregation. And I remember when, uh, I don't know if you guys know, there's something called a mingan. It means that the congregation has 12 people, so now you can say a prayer. not 12, I'm sorry, 10. You have to have 10 Jews, no women. Only only men, 10 male Jews who can, uh, now that if there's enough of them, they can say a certain prayer. If you only have nine, you can bring in a Torah to stand in for, for a Jew, but you can't bring in a woman. God forbid you had a woman. So I saw this guy with his 50 to life counting off people and uh, saying that there's not a minion because there were certain guys she didn't consider Jewish. Uh, you know, that's the usual ex- exclusive uh, ex- exclusion technique, which uh, now, now the guys really want to be in the minion. But uh, I wondered why on earth this was the guy making the decisions. Uh, but uh, in any case, not, not not for me to judge either. Mm-hmm. But
1: so, so I, I, ne- me- I
2: never hid my, my lack of faith to them because, I it, it, you know, it's, What am I supposed to do? I'm going to pretend to pray. I don't even... uh,
1: Could you tell us a little bit about um, the soul exchange that, that got into a little bit of trouble?
2: Well, that was quite the episode. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing that you read the article that I wrote about it for Vice. Yeah, that's kind of how it, I
0: got, uh, your name got on my radar in the first place. It's not
2: because of the article I wrote for Washington Post about conversion? And I think that came
0: afterwards. I think the first time I heard about you was about the soul exchange, and the story okay. I heard was that there was an atheist prisoner who had gotten punished because he was trading, uh, he was yes. giving, paying for coffee in exchange for your souls.
2: Yes, and Let's somehow the prisoners were like
0: the wardens were like, "Well, you need to be punished for that. It's illegal."
2: Let me tell you, when this when this actually happened, it was it was it, the, the, the the fact that this happened in the year two thousand and ten blew my mind, and I couldn't believe that, you know. How did Albany let it happen? How, how did the news let it happen? How did, the, how did anybody let it happen? So this is what happened. Uh, I had spent the last seven years in, uh, in cells. There's maximum security prisons and there's medium. And the maximum ones, they give you your own cell, right? So after seven years of that, I got moved because my security level dropped. And all of a sudden, I was in a dorm with uh, 55 other people. And not only was I with these people, but my possessions were with them also. So they had a nice, clear view of what I had. So that meant that I was swamped with uh, requests for, for all kinds of stuff all the time. And I had not uh, been subject to this before. I was out of practice I, I, because I'd been a, in a cell for all those years. And at first, I you know, What I sort gave of things
0: the, do you have that they want?
2: Cigarettes, coffee, snacks, and stamps.
0: And they don't have these things. Why?
2: Well, is I it a money issue? 100- you
0: have access to money, and they don't.
2: I had a hundred dollars a month for ten years. That is uh, is considered well off in jail. And if you if you don't get high, then that will be plenty for you. You don't need more than that. Of course, if you do get high, then you're going to need a a whole bunch more than that. But if you don't, it's plenty. So most guys don't live on $100 a month. A lot of guys have unfortunately burned their bridges, or they just come from poverty, or they come from broken homes and have never had much of a family or support. You know, when when you asked before about... If if that's the reason why they came to prison, and this is the case sometimes of why they, guys end up in prison, is is because they didn't have many opportunities to begin with, and and that's why I'm the biggest uh, jerk of them all because I, I had the most opportunities, and you know I'm worse than they are. But in any case, they... so they
0: saw you have coffee and you have cigarettes, you have you have stuff that they would like.
2: I did have all the stuff they would like, and at first, I was uh, nice about it. It's hard to say no to somebody who's hungry. It's hard, you know, and uh, or somebody who says they they need a stamp to write their mother. It's hard to say no, but with time, I realized that they were asking me for the stamp so that they could go gamble it on a on a game, soccer game, football game, or something, right? They were asking me for the coffee so that the three dollars they got every two weeks they could spend on a joint. You know, I was—it was—it was not right. They—they they were, you know, abusing my generosity. But I had started bad already by giving out, so it was hard to uh, say no after stop. you've done that. So what I did is I, I used the same weapon I'd used many a time: humor. What I did was I. I use my typewriter, and I very quickly made up a a contract selling uh, the person's soul for whatever item it is they want. And uh, the evening I did it, I bought five souls. So for those souls, I paid five cups of coffee, a stamp, and a granola bar. (laughs) So every time the guys had a, you know, the guy came for... The five guys, they, they all signed off. They signed all over their soul to me. Ha-ha, we all had a big laugh. The cop on duty had a big laugh. And I really did give them the coffee, and nobody took it very seriously. But they were unable to come back, so my, my plan kind of worked because they, they couldn't come back once they had sold their soul because they had, didn't have another one to sell.
0: So how do you go from there to getting in trouble for it? Ah, uh, well, I should have thrown away the contracts. <laughs> you left the a paper trail, is, dude. Is you're not a bad criminal, even in you're a bad criminal even in prison.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I know. I got I got caught at uh, being Mephistopheles. So <laughs> I uh, I left the contracts out, and I had done too good a job when I wrote them up. They looked very real to the guy who found them. Who was also a? Uh, I found this out later. He was quite the uh, the religious uh, nut. He, there was a. So he took religious. souls
0: very seriously.
2: He took it very seriously. As soon as he found the contracts, I just left them on my locker. As soon as he found them, he called them sergeants and everything. And th- this is where I don't understand because it went up pretty far to make a decision to lock me up. And somebody actually said, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, we got him." So I was in the yard outside, and I heard my name called, and I had a bad feeling about it, so I said goodbye to the guys I was with. And sure enough, I never saw them again, because when I got uh, to the fence, they threw me on a wall, and they stripped me down, and they, they threw me in the back of a van to take me over to, uh, to the box facility. So they... uh they were kind of rough about it, and the whole time I was asking the officers what happened, why am I here, and in the back of my mind I'm thinking, could it really be the souls? Is it really the souls? can't be. That's medieval. No way. Three days later, it took three days for me to get the, uh, the, the misbehavior report, which is called the ticket. Uh, I got it, and the ticket was for unauthorized exchange. So, five counts were, which is apparently my number, (laughs) five counts of unauthorized exchange, and they had it at at the highest level, tier three. So, I was in the box, and I I fought, I I mean... And this is solitary
0: confinement for how long?
2: Solitary confinement, but this is solitary confinement... Inside the prison. There's also solitary confinement prisons where the whole place is solitary confinement. So we're not mm-hmm.
0: talking like a Shawshank Redemption, you're in a dark oh, hole. We are.
2: We are. Oh, no, we are. That's actually quite what it looks like. Yeah. But the place they sent me to afterwards was worse. So I fought the charge kind of without too much serious gravity to it because. I, I thought, who on earth is going to sign their name to something like this? And I noticed that the hearing officer they assigned this to was the the cook. So the the facility cook was the guy who uh, who was judging me, and I understood later that it's because nobody with a real career wanted to soil their hands with this. So they got this guy in and. I tried to talk to him, and even before the tape was on, because they record these things, you know, I said, are you taking this seriously? And the only thing he would say is
0: yes. So had you exchanged cigarettes for coffee, the, that would have been okay? Or if you just handed them out, you're, the coffee, no, it would have been okay? The deal.
2: They, the, the, there's a small print. The small print of the rule now, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that things are not allowed to be bought and sold in prison, right? You're not there to run a marketplace. Okay. They don't want you selling things, but they also add in that things are not to be given.
0: So you would so, have you would have gotten in trouble just for giving away some of this stuff. You could have.
2: Yes, that is. But that is basically how they saw it, because they couldn't really admit that I had taken any like. They didn't want. They didn't. They tried to avoid putting on paper the part where the souls are included. While I tried to uh, stress the souls as much as possible. So they called a the witness. Well, actually, I, I I called the witness. I called in the guy. No, they, well, actually, they called him. They called in the guy. He had gotten a stamp. Actually, I gave him a stamp for. Uh, that was the one who needed to write his mother. So when I talked to him. <sighs> I said, did did you take this seriously? Did you feel that you had sold me your soul? And he said, "Uh, of course not, that's ridiculous. It was just a joke. That's impossible anyway. I said, oh, okay. So I looked at the hearing officer and I said, well, case closed. And he said, one minute. And he said to the guy, did you get a stamp? And the guy said, yeah, I got a stamp. And then the hearing officer looked back at me and said, case closed. (laughs) So they gave me 90 days. And they put me, sent me to a real solitary unit, which is, this one was really, really far away. It was all the way in Erie, Pennsylvania, basically. Uh, It was still in New York State, but the radio came in from Erie because that was the closest place. So it was as far west as you can go and still be in New York State. And they put me into a cell, which is double, it's a double bunked solitary unit, which is horrible absolutely horrible. It's much better to be by yourself. But the man the man they put me in, he also had 90 days. He got his 90 days for throwing a tray of coffee cake at somebody. And I got my 90 days for the souls. <laughs> uh, it turned out later that he was quite the madman because uh, he had some crazy I, beliefs of his own Including the fact that uh, that I really was buying souls, he actually agreed. But uh, it was it was a torturous time. Uh, we, you know, I was afraid sometimes because he he was violent, and I'm really glad I made out of there uh, in one piece.
0: Dan, one last he- question for you: What was the, the what was the first thing you did when you got out?
2: When I got out of jail, yeah. I uh, Well, I got out, my parents are waiting for me, and there was a tablet. I went online for the first time in years, mm-hmm. and my wife was waiting for me back in Brooklyn. So I don't know what, whether you, you count uh, you know, giving my wife a great big uh, hug and kiss or whether you count going online. <laughs> because I was online in the car, maybe that doesn't count quite yet. My feet hadn't touched uh, <laughs> three yeah. years yet.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have links to your articles for people who want to read them. Sure. And you said the book you were writing, 1046, is going to be out when? Hopefully.
2: It should be out in, in the early next year.
0: All right. Care we'll keep, of Penguin. Got it. We'll keep an eye out for that. Thanks so much, Daniel. Thank you. Okay, thank you.